The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. We are in a sermon series on Revelation, Citizens of a Different Kingdom. And today we're in Revelation chapter 8, 1 through 13. Revelation says this. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about an half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people and the, on the golden altar in front of the, the throne. And it's the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it, uh, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And then a second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. Let's pray. God, we confess that your word sometimes really sounds strange to our ears. But we're reminded that When your word sounds strange to our ears, it reminds us that you are different than us. That you are strange to us. Because you are holy. Because you are God. So we thank you for your word and all its strangeness. And all its images. And all its holiness. And today we pray for ears to hear. We pray for hearts to follow. We pray for lives and bodies that will obey. And God, I pray for the gift of preaching. We pray in the name of Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. Amen. 
I can't hear. Clearly, I just got the announcement and I couldn't hear that it was a wedding instead of a, a baby shower. But I can't, my, my eyesight has always been 20-20. I'm the only one in my family that doesn't wear glasses or contacts. Now, I don't have hearing problems where I need a hearing aid. My hearing's been checked. It's, it's within normal levels. But hearing, if I have really good eyesight, hearing is down for me. Like if I'm in a, a crowded restaurant sitting across, and there's lots of background noise. Sometimes I really have to concentrate. I can't hear. And I know some people are like that, but that, that's me. I, I can't hear that well sometimes. But there's also another way I can't hear, and all you women are going to say amen. If you don't, then I have no hope of ever getting an amen out of you. But I'm like your typical man that when Kim talks to me sometimes, I just don't hear. <laughs> amen, I got it from a, a guy. Women are like, no, keep going, keep going. You're not on an amen point yet. So I'm like watching TV, and Kim will ask something from me. And then she'll ask again. I was like, what's that? I'm sorry. Or my kids will talk to me, and I'm doing something, and I'm engrossed in my own thought or mind or whatever I'm doing. They're like, Dad. Pay attention. Did you hear? And I'm just like, sorry, what? I've even caught myself asking a question. And then as they give a response, I come back and say, sorry, could you say that again? Because my mind starts going. And I, I just can't hear sometimes. In Revelation chapter 8, in order to understand what is happening in Revelation chapter 8, we need to go back two chapters to chapter 6. And I want you to see something that will help us see what's in chapter 8. So chapter 6 verse 1 says this. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, built, bent on conquest. And one of the things that we realize in this, before we go on to verse 3, the one of the things that we realize is that, if you remember several weeks ago, we talked about John and his vision. He looked and he said, who is worthy to open the scrolls? Because it's not only the one that is worthy to open them. A scroll is like being sealed. The scroll that is sealed is like the will of a person. And we talked about this, this, the scroll as being God's will and purpose in the world. And John looks and says, who's, who's, who has the authority to open the seal? Who opened the will of God? But it's not only the one who has authority to open it. The one who has authority to open it is also the one that has authority to carry it out. And he looks and he sees the Lamb of God that was slain. And, it, and he says, the Lamb of God, that is the one that is worthy to open the scroll. So when the Lamb opens the first seal, there's a white horse. This rider had a bow and he was given a crown. 
And he rode out as a conqueror built on conquest. And what is this giving? It's giving imagery of Rome's myth of empire. We talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago. That Rome was built, bent on conquest in the name of peace. In order to bring peace in the world, we must bring about peace through violence. That is what Rome did. And so that is the rider on the white horse. Then it goes on. He says this, When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one, and its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So when, when the lamp opens the second seal, there's a fiery red horse. And while Rome goes about making peace through violence, what it says is that what the empire does is then it turns around and it causes divisions and conflicts among people. Because if you're fighting someone else than the Roman Empire, if you're always arguing among getting pitted against someone else, you don't pay attention. I think that's one of the strategies of Rome. Then he goes on, he says, the third seal. And when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked, and before me was a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. What he's referring to, this rider on the black horse who comes with scales, and these are used in marketplaces in the economy. And what's clear here to first century readers is that the price for barley and bread is overinflated. The black horse comes and is representative of exploitation of the poor. That they exploit those that are marginalized and poor and they're unjust in the way they act towards people, especially economically. And then it goes on in verse 7 and 8. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the living, four living creatures say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse, and his rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So you have this pale horse that comes in. And this pale horse is death. In fact, he goes on to say, not only death, but Hades, the place of the dead. Which is the Greek term for the place of the dead. And he says, not close behind, was, Hades was, not close, was, was very close behind him. And they were given the power over the fourth of the earth to kill by the sword. And by famine, and by plague, and by wild beast. And what becomes clear is this is the empire's usurping or seizing God's authority. That they take God's authority for life and death. For 
the beast and famine and plague, which are supernatural events in the first century, and they take them to be their own. That's the power that they're seizing. This power that only belongs to God. What becomes clear in the first four seals that are open, what the seals reveal is that the empire is bent on power and wealth. But then we go on. When he gets to the fifth seal, he says, when I he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who've been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. And what's revealed in the fifth seal, if peace through violence by the empire is revealed in the first one, if in the second one that they divide internally, right, in order to rule, and the third one is that they're economically unjust or unjust to the marginalized, and the fourth one is that they they usurp God's authority to judge and the power that only God has, that what's revealed in the fifth seal is this suffering that's going on in the world that is ordered by God but is the result of sin. Now, when I say ordered by God, I don't mean ordered in the sense of like God commanded it, but in this sense, I've used this analogy. I think... This is a way to think about it. What the the scroll is telling us is not that God is causing all of these things to happen, but God is sovereign and he's ordering all of them in their proper place. I've used this analogy before, I think, with this church. And analogies have their problems, so you could stretch it far enough to be like, this bin, this doesn't work. But the point of analogies is to make a connection. So it's like this, it's like, when I own my home, I don't make all the furniture in my home. Now, some of you are gifted and you can, you've made a table or you've done, but most of us don't make our own furniture. We buy our furniture. But in my home, I get to order where that furniture goes. Better put, my wife gets to order where that furniture goes. Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you. Does that make sense? It's God's world. He's not writing out every little thing. He's not designing every little... There is free will happening. But the scroll reveals that he is ordering it all. Or I've used this example like a librarian. A librarian doesn't write all the books. But what's the librarian's job? He's in charge of the library. The librarian puts them in their proper place. This is where it goes. So while the book may do some things and say some things, the librarian is in charge of where that goes. They have authority. 
Likewise, God does not produce evil in the world. He does not cause the evils of the empire. But he does order them. And he puts them in their proper place. And so, when you read in chapters 9 and 10, let's go back one slide. When you read in chapter 6, 9 through 11, right? It says that the souls of those uh, that get that are slain because of the word of God and their testimony, they cry out, how long, O sovereign Lord? And these not only represent those people in the time of John, these represent people throughout history, prophets, men and women who have given faithfully to testify to the truth and who have suffered the empire's reaction against them when they testify against the falsity, the oppression, and the injustice of the empire. One thing becomes very clear in chapter 6. God hears the suffering of people. When you suffer, God hears your cry in the scroll. When the world cries out because of injustice and suffering, God hears it. Maybe more than anything else, that's what God hears. But what could be even more true, equally true, is this. The empire cannot hear. Because they are bent on gaining power and wealth, and therefore they cannot hear the cries of those who are suffering. So because they can't hear the cries, there's consequences. These aren't what God does, they're just the natural consequences. So then when you get on to chapter 8, our text for today, verse 1 through 6, it says, And when he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour, which is interesting because all through Revelation, there's been this enormous universal worship, and then all of a sudden, it goes silent. And you hear a pin drop. And there's such a contrast. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God. And the seven trumps, trumpets were given to them. Another who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. Because God hears. And all of those prayers are in the presence of God. And on the golden altar in front of the throne, and the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. 
Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. Trumpets were a signal in the first century world. When they hear this, by the way, don't think of brass trumpets. Think of like horns. That's probably what they're envisioning. And trumpets were a signal of several things. One, they were a signal of power. When a trumpet blew, this was a signal that that power was entering your presence. That power was entering the world. Two, they were a signal of battle. The trumpets would sound to go to battle. And then the third thing, and probably almost the most important thing that this probably signaled in Revelation, was that the trumpets... They were a call, they were a warning to repent before it was too late. The trumpets would go out to say, a power is in your presence. The battle is ready. This is your last chance to change. It's a chance to change. And so the empire cannot hear the cries of the suffering, so God sends the loudest thing known to humanity. It's been noted that the trumpet was probably the loudest thing that at that time humanity could have produced. Because they cannot hear the cries of the suffering, God sends the loudest thing known to humanity, the trumpets. So the power has come. The battle's at hand. This is your last chance. So, you go on to chapter 8, verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down to the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass, green grass was burned up. And then a second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair con a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels and then in chapter 9 the fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss and when he opened the abyss smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace and the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss and out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth And we're given power like that of scorpions on the earth. So you have trumpet one, hail, 
Trumpet two, the sea turned to blood. Trumpet three, the water turned bitter. Trumpet four, there's darkness. Trumpet five, there's locusts. Trumpet six, there's death. Each trumpet plagues affect only a third of their targets, reinforcing this idea that they are a warning. I want you to notice something. If there's one thing that, this is kind of a side note, but I think it's very important. If there's one thing that Revelation does, it talks about evil in all kinds of language, right? That are, that are beasts and hail and locusts and all of these horse, the, the, the pale horse and the red horse and all, uses all of this language that's not human. And so I think it makes this note, that evil is not the absence of good in the world. Evil is the absence of everything human. Evil is not the absence of good in the world. It's the absence of everything human. Because everything that comes to be evil is pictured as, as non-human. Which is to say humans can become non, non-human like beasts. And evil is in the world. But all of this hail and sea turned to blood and bitter water darkness and locusts and death does it remind you of anything church people come on church people you can talk, speak up what does it remind you of the plagues of Egypt this is not lost John it's not a coincidence what John is doing here so in the plagues of Egypt you have hail you have water turned to blood which makes it deadly to drink you have locusts you have darkness you have death of the firstborn And in the story of the Exodus, the plagues are not God's will, but they are the the fruit of the rejection of God's will. Because if you look in Exodus chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, the Lord said, Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Do you hear a theme? Do you see a theme? God hears the suffering of his people. God hears the suffering of his people. But then if you jump over to chapter 5, it says, After Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. The same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as they did before. Don't reduce that quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Are you hearing that language? Let us go and sacrifice to our gods. Make their work harder for the people so that they can keep working and pay no attention to their lives. What is clear in the story of the Exodus is that God hears the suffering of people. And what is also clear is that the empire cannot hear 
They cannot. They are bent on power and wealth. Pharaoh thinks that he is God. And he's consumed with his own power and security. Therefore, he thinks he can treat people less than and use them for his own purposes. This is one of the primary stories through the whole Old Testament. It's a story about idolatry and about injustice. Biblical scholar says this, that the biblical view of idolatry is the root of all evil. The first temptation is to be like God, and the first sin is to act accordingly. The first temptation is a desire or to think that you have the power that only God has. And the sin is to act as if if everything and everyone else is at your disposal for your purposes. Idolatry and injustice. I mean, if you can't go reading the prophets, this is also not just the story of Pharaoh. This is the story of Israel as well. Israel and the prophets. The prophets spend all their time railing on two things. Idolatry and the way they treat marginalized people. Injustice. And I think for us, I've seen something. Let me speak about our contemporary situation a little bit. I've seen something in the church. I've noticed that more conservative, if you want to put them in categories, which are not always helpful, but more conservative Christians are deeply concerned about idolatry. And they should be. They're concerned about personal sin. They're concerned about making other things central to life rather than God. And that's good that they feel, that's good that they believe that. There's good a concern to have. But I've also seen what we might label progressive Christians be concerned with injustice. They're concerned with systemic racism and exploitation of the poor and oppressing the marginalized. And they should be. Because one of the things that happens in American Christianity is that you either sit on one side or the other, but the Bible doesn't do one side or the other. The Bible holds both of them together and says idolatry and injustice are God's concerns. He's concerned about both. So you get to chapter 9 at the end in verse 20 and 21. And it says, a third of the people died. But the rest of humankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, and their thefts. Just keep that there for a minute on the screen. Do you see the call of the trumpets is to repent? And by the end, it kind of, this story kind of works like Pharaoh's story does. They don't repent. 
First of all, they don't repent of idols of gold and bronze and silver, stone and wood. Those things that we put in place of God in our lives, they don't repent of those things. But then second, it says, nor did they repent of their murders, how they treated people. Their magic arts, which were used to manipulate and get things out of people that they want. Their sexual immorality, which is about using other bodies for your own purposes. And theft. This is like taking what's not yours. They did not repent of idolatry. They did not repent of injustice. The trumpet and the plagues are directed at getting those who support the empire's program of power and wealth that oppress the marginalized to repent. So let me say this. Idolatry is not simply about having an object of worship that is other than God in your life. Injustice is not simply overt acts of violence and exploitation against others. I want you to hear this. Idolatry and injustice is participating in the empire and its power and wealth in such a way that you can no longer hear the cries of others. So, to say it another way, well, Ben, how do I know if I'm participating in the empire and idolatry? If you're participating and you don't hear the cries of those around you suffering, that might be a sign to you. I'm going to confess. I can't hear. Because I am tempted to trust in the empire and its power and all that that offers. I got to confess, I can't hear because I'm tempted to give faith and focus to all the wealth that this economy brings and to participate in a way that just keeps on driving me and driving me towards those things. The good news is that God hears the cries of those that are suffering. And when we, as Christians, citizens of a different kingdom, resist the empire's lure to participate in its power and its wealth, and when we follow the slain lamb, Stand.